All right. Well, and you, you can drink a beer with us or not. Um, let me uh, let me go let me go get one. Awesome, awesome. All right, another corrupted individual. <laughs> On the flight deck, crews are now manning for the next launch. Time to clear the flight deck and catwalks. Stand well clear of all jet blasts, prop arcs, and exhaust. Time to start up the go aircraft. Let's start them up. Hi, I'm Dave Veronic, call sign bio. I was an F-14 Rio and a Top Gun instructor, and I'm one of your hosts for the F-14 Tomcast. The F-14's first combat missions in the air-to-ground role took place in Kosovo in 1999 during Operation Allied Force. It was a complex environment for all aviators, as we will soon learn. And I'm Craig Snyder, call sign Crunch, and I was an F-14 pilot and Top Gun instructor as well, and I'm your other host here on the F-14 Tomcast. Our guest today is retired Navy Rear Admiral, Admiral Dell Snapper Bull, and Snapper was a Rio and VF-14 deployed on the USS Theodore Roosevelt, and he flew in these challenging skies over over Kosovo. So Snapper, welcome, sir, to the F-14 Tomcast. Crunch Bio, it is absolutely my my uh, my pleasure and honor uh, to participate in this conversation and to see you both again, uh, because it you know the the and I appreciate what you're both doing to keep the F-14 alive. It, it truly was a was an honor as as the three of us know to be able to fly that airplane and particularly uh, work with most of the time for the the young men and women that kept that thing flying, um, our our maintainers, our our troops. Um, that had just as much or more pride in that airplane than, than we did. So thanks thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Well, it's great having you here, and thanks for the kind words. And, uh, and as always, also, big thanks to all our listeners out there because they're the ones that, uh, you know, they help make this possible. So uh, we're, we're, here we are. We're going to talk with you today about primarily the Tomcat as it applied to the Kosovo conflict back in 1999. But before that, uh, let's set the groundwork, set the, set the background, the history for everybody. Uh, can you give us a little bit about you? Where are you from? How you got commissioned? How you got into naval naval aviation? And how, most importantly, how'd you get into the F-14? Sure, happy to. Um, and it's a bit of a it's a it's a bit of a long story, and I'll try to summarize as much as I can. I. I I was born and raised in Whidbey Island, Washington State, where I met my my bride, my high school sweetheart of uh, 33 years now. We had four children. Um, my oldest my oldest son is a Navy engineer and a diver. Um, my my number two son flies F-18 Super Hornets and just left the Top Hatters, ironically enough, and now he's wow. an instructor in the RAG um, as of as of last month. Um, my, my princess, my daughter, our only daughter, she married uh, Hi-Fi Harris's son, if you guys recall, Admiral Harris and, uh, and Connor, and they are both stationed at Whidbey Island flying growlers. Um, and then my youngest son, Jagger, um, is graduating here in May uh, at Rice University, where he's uh, played, he's tight end for them on scholarship for the last uh, five years. Just tuned into the transfer portal because he had a, um, a, a COVID year. And he got picked up by Wake Forest, so he's going to play a year, get his master's uh, playing for Wake Forest. So we're we're proud and excited. Whether he's going to go into the Navy or not, um, we'll see. Um, um, 
so I was raised in a in a naval aviation family. Um, you know, growing up in the in the family, my brother Bruce, who also flew uh, the A six Intruder, and then the Hornet. We wouldn't tell people who our dad was because we wanted to get there on our own. Our dad, my dad, was a retired admiral, had seven commands, flew the uh, A six Intruder most of his career. Um, in fact, he was awarded the Navy Cross for a single plane strike into uh, Hanoi during Vietnam, three tours in Vietnam. And uh, in fact, um, if you've ever seen the, the movie Flight of the Intruder, um, William Defoe played my father. That was that was a bit of a, of a Hollywood uh, makeup of that mission, single plane strike. Um, and my dad didn't die uh, in, in, in like he did in the movie. But um, uh, very proud of my dad. He passed away three years ago. And, uh, and I, I wanted to fly the A6 Intruder like my dad. So I, uh, I played football at University of Idaho, graduated uh, with a computer science degree, um, always wanting to fly uh, in the Navy. Uh, I went to, went to uh, ROTC at the university and got into, got into flight school and selected the A6 Intruder. So my dream was fulfilled by flying the Intruder, I thought. Um, they retired the airplane five years after I started flying it. And so those of us that were fortunate enough to have an option to go fly something else, um, I, I, I chose the F-14. They, they asked for three, uh, your top three choices. And I told them the F-14, uh, my second choice was the A-6, and I didn't give them a third choice, meaning either you're going to let me fly the F-14 or I'm getting out of the Navy. Um, thank goodness um, I, I selected um, to fly the F-14. I went to uh, the RAG, which is the training squadron uh, in Virginia Beach, and, and then went to VF-24 back in, in Miramar. I did one deployment, VF-24, and, uh, and then they, they sent me right back to the RAG to be an F-14 instructor. So I instructed in both the uh, A, B, and D um, models, uh, which, was, which, was, which was fun. Um, but I'm, I'm predominantly most of my hours are in, uh, are in the F-14A, uh, which is what we were flying in Kosovo. When I left to be an from my instructor tour, uh, that's when I ended up over with the top headers at VF-14. And the CEO and the XO at the time were uh, Slapshot Carter and uh, Slammer Richardson. And of course, Slammer we had on the show, I think that was episode two, if memory serves. Um, yeah, one of those. Yeah, that, that was. that was a, that, what, what a great episode that was. Four. But sure. Episode four, 17. <laughs> so I did, I did watch that episode. Um, and evidently I think more of slammer than he thinks of me because he never mentioned my name. So I must have had a great impact on him. <laughs> he was my pilot. You know, a lot of the missions he was talking about, I was in his back seat. And he never mentioned me. So um, I'll get even. Oh, <laughs> all right. So, <laughs> all right. so, okay, so, Oh, go ahead. Bob. Go ahead. No crunch. You're on a roll. Oh, I was just going to say. So, you, so you you were um, you went to the RAG as a student, VF twenty four out at Miramar, did a deployment, I think, and then back to a RAG instructor. That's where you and I met. Uh, and then right. after that, you went to the lids at VF fourteen, which takes us up to present day of this one right here. Is that right? Of our discussion. That's correct. Now, after that, yep. just for, for everybody, I mean, at some point you became a rear admiral. You probably did something else. You want to just give us the the overview? What happened afterwards? Sure. Here, real quick, after that, after that deployment, um, I went to uh, Capitol Hill, uh, kicking and screaming, um, and uh, I was Senator McCain's defense advisor, a Navy fellow, for a year, 
And once you get that kind of stink on your hand, once you understand how, how the hill works, um, I went, uh, 9-11 happened. Um, in fact, I was standing next to Senator McCain as we were watching the, the Pentagon burning um, mm. before we got him in a car and, and got him out of there. Uh, and then I, I left that job and I went to uh, my first joint job in the Pentagon, ironically. And it was, uh, it was, I, was I was the Anti-Terrorism Force Protection um, Policy person uh, on the joint staff. Uh, left there and I selected for my first, my first um, command. And, and it was, it was interesting as they, as the bureau called and they said, Hey, what, what squadron would you like? And I said, what do you mean? I'd be happy to have a T-34 squadron. I didn't know I had a choice. And they said, well, the F-14 is being replaced by the Super Hornet. Do you want an F-14 squadron or do you want a Super Hornet squadron? We'll start there. And, you know, I thought about it and, and deep in my heart, I wanted, I wanted the new thing true, but I also wanted to be able to say I was commanding officer like bio of a, of a, of an F-14, you know, squadron. So, um, my answer to the bureau was, um, I'll take an F-14 squadron as long as I can deploy with them. What I don't want to do is get an F-14 squadron and then transition into Super Hornet. So I'm really a class leader and I'm not really a war fighting, you know, commanding officer. So, so, uh, they couldn't do that. So I, I took the black aces out of Lemoore and it was my first command, uh, Super Hornet squadron. Back then the black aces, uh, just got lot 26 Super Hornets, um, advanced crew station for those in the, in the audience that what that, what that means is, is the front seat. And this comes into play because it's very unlike the F-14, the front seat, um, was separated from the back seat in that the pilot could do say air to air oh, yeah. and, and the Wizzo could do air to ground and vice versa, especially when we got, um, the, uh, ice radar in the aircraft, you could do it at the same time. The radar is so uh, amazing. Snapper, that's a great, that's a great, very concise explanation of what that means. That's good. Thanks. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, absolutely. It, it, now you get you didn't hit lot twenty six. If memory serves, lot twenty eight was the first AESA radar. Is that right? Right. Okay. Right. Got it. Right. So you had a standard. It was that APG sixty or APG seventy uh, seventy one. Thank yeah. you. Woo. Yeah. Yep. Golly, I almost yeah. I almost pulled it out, but I was afraid to sound yeah. stupid, and I didn't good, do it. Good, <laughs> good, good memory. Yeah. Gotcha. So. Yeah, so I, I uh, uh, Dave Fravor was my uh, my CEO, another A six guy, former A six guy. So we got along swimmingly. Still, uh, one of my best friends today. We, um, I left I left that job and I went back to uh, another joint job, and then then I picked up um, I picked up a bonus command. So I had VFA one twenty two, and uh, that was that was the the Super Hornet training squadron. The unique part about that time is. Uh, VFA-125, which was the Legacy Hornet Squadron, training squadron, we the Navy decided to combine them. So we combined that squadron. VFA-122 at the time was uh, 113 Hornets and about 3,000 people. Um, it was it was the largest squadron on the planet that we know of. In fact, wow. uh, Ernie Spence was my XO and Deedle Duff, and one of them walked in and said, Hey, Skipper, do you know that um, there's only – 10 other air forces on this planet that are bigger than your squadron. Uh, so yeah, so that was, that's good. that was pretty cool. I left there and then, uh, then I selected uh, to be an air wing commander. So uh, I had air wing nine. Uh, when I finished up uh, a couple cruises, back to back cruises, uh, two eight month cruises with five months in between, 
um, and just just couldn't couldn't have um, just couldn't have had better leaders and sailors in that in that air wing. Um, it, it's just a, a great memory. Um, did some great work in both uh, Iraq and Afghanistan. And uh, uh, after that job, I went to be the air boss's chief of staff uh, for Admiral Bus. And the air boss for, for the audience is the head of all naval aviation. Uh, three star. Not, not the usual air boss that we talk about yeah. on the carrier. That's yeah, right. Exactly. Like, I was an air boss, but not <laughs> the air <laughs> boss. There. <Right. laughs> There's the air boss with the yellow jersey and then the guy who with the checkbook, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. Um, and I, I, so I didn't screw up too bad there, I guess. I, I made Admiral. I was selected for Admiral out of that job. And, and then the air boss uh, sent me to be the chief of naval air training. So I went to uh, uh, Meridian, Mississippi. And the chief naval air training is the command responsible for, for training all the Navy, Marine Corps, Coast Guard, and at the time, about 25 other nations that hired the U.S. Navy to, to train some of their, their pilots. Um, there's, a, uh, there's a wing in Corpus Christi where my headquarters was. There's a jet wing in Kingsville. Uh, there's a jet wing in Meridian, Mississippi. And then all the NFOs and the helicopter guys uh, and about 40% of that command is in Pensacola, Florida, to include the Blue Angels, were, uh, were under that command. So um, really, really did that for a couple of years, just had a, had a ball. And then the Navy rewarded me by sending me to another joint job. And uh, it was a unique job, kind of a, kind of a quiet job. We don't talk about it much, but it was part of an organization that developed terrorist networks. And then I had about 300 um, Special Forces dudes that that once we developed the networks, they'd be forward, and then we'd go pick up the people in those networks and say hi to them. Um, nice. Uh, and then, and then I decided that uh, I'd had enough of joint jobs and and uh, retired and moved here to uh, to Houston with my wife. Man, Dell, what a career snapper! I'll I'll stay in character. <laughs> see, when, see, when I met you, when I met you, you were a a rag instructor, and uh, and then you know my wife and I knew you and your wife later and stuff. So I, I ended up calling him Dell most of my life, but I'll stay in character here and call you snapper. <laughs> Man, that's good. That was that was a long a long. Uh, a, a long and varied career, but you covered it nicely. And, and I think the audience is going to enjoy hearing uh, all those, all the variety, you know, people just don't know all that stuff that Naval officers do that, that, that uh, aviators do. Well, right. I want to get into the topic because uh, I had to, uh, I had to get myself oriented uh, in terms of what was going on. So uh, give us a little bit of a background on operations uh, that we're going to talk about today around Kosovo around 1999 and uh and and tell us you know at, at this time let's stick with the uh the tactical orientation you know military ops and stuff like that and did the squadron and the air wing know you were going into combat did you train before that deployment so um all great questions the answer was i'll never forget the uh, slapshot carter the ceo at the time saying hey my prediction is we're going to do a drive-by by kosovo and have a little action, and then we're going to Iraq and and open up a can on uh, on Saddam, and and it turns out he was almost right. We but we did more than a drive by by Kosovo. We stayed there for you know a couple months, and until uh, Slobodan Milosevic capitulated, 
And, and then we took off and, and, and went through the canal and went to Iraq and started, uh, started dropping bombs um, right there in, in Iraq, too. So wow. um, we can talk about a little bit of that later, about the different dynamic between Kosovo, AOR, area responsibility, and, and Iraq. But Yeah. Um, so we, we, did, we did a lot of um, CAS, or close air support. And the F-14 at the time um, did start a program, as both you know, to um, to train forward air controllers airborne, right? So that turned out to be tremendous. Our our sister squadron was was the Black Aces, um, Via Forty One, the squadron that I, I I aforementioned I eventually was commanding officer of, um, and we both had these forward air controllers. So we did a lot of training in Fallon. We did a lot of training uh, locally uh, in and around um, Oceana and Virginia Beach with our forward air controllers to, uh, to drop, drop weapons. Um, the key, uh, was, was the lantern targeting pod that the F-14 had put on. Now for the audience, it, it, and I am not a, a born and bred fighter guy cause I was an attack guy first, right? So, um, the F-14 was always capable of dropping bombs. Um, it always had the software to drop bombs, but, there wasn't a fighter guy in his right mind that ever wanted to admit that they were an attack guy and they dropped bombs. Um, so, so in fact, if bio, if you remember the quantity uh, dial in the back of the F-14, um, most fighter guys use that to count how many passes they were getting practice passes uh, during the fleet carrier landing practice. They didn't even know what that thing was for. Yeah. Um, I remember the attitude very well. That I was at Miramar for 10 years in the 1980s right. and Yep. And of course, my dad would say that, that, you know, the mission of, of an air wing is strike um, and fighter guys are nothing but support. Right. right. So, but the fighter guys didn't want to hear any of that. And no, no it went and, back uh, and forth. Yeah. Yeah. So when I, when I went to um, uh, VF 24, my first fleet squadron, um, they had never dropped a bomb. So the commanding officer at that particular squadron said, Hey, snapper, You've got experience of being an attack guy. Teach us how to drop bombs. And, and, and it so, takes like 30, 30, 40 minutes, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> so I, I sat back and thought, well, how am I going to do this? So I, I wrote, I basically took my old A6 air to ground SOP, standard operating procedure notebook, and I, I morphed it into the F 14. But what the F-14A didn't have, as both of you know, we called it the Commodore 64 computer uh, on board the aircraft. Um, it didn't calculate um, uh, altitudes when you plugged in a waypoint um, and you'd plug in an elevation to the waypoint um, and it didn't have an underground radar. Uh, so it didn't calculate altitudes very, very specifically or very close, very accurately, better said. You had to input it, if I remember right. Didn't you, didn't you have to input the elevation? You did. Okay. You did. To a target, to a waypoint. And, but it was the INS that would that would take that waypoint and and without without a whiteboard, you know, if you if you have a if, if you have an elevation that um, is twenty feet off because your INS is drifting, then your target Waypoint is either going to be long or short, depending on how off that is. So, how did how did how did we um, in the A six community when we had errors in our system? Although we had ways to update our system that the F fourteen didn't, um, 
steeper is better, right? Because if you think about um, an oh, airplane yeah. dropping yeah. a bomb 90 degrees straight down, it doesn't matter what the elevation of the target is. As long as you have the time of flight of the weapon to f- fuse the fuse the ordnance, it's going to hit the target. It doesn't matter how. So, so the steeper, the better, right? And I only yeah. tell that story because I get the the F-14 guys around and I'm, I'm, I'm briefing them on how to, you know, kind of crawl before you run. But, but I said, I, as I explained the physics of this, of this uh, altitude uh, issue in the aircraft, I said, Hey, we can't go 90 degrees because the targeting book, our manual only goes up to 60 degrees. So, so we're going to train to 60 degree dives in the F-14. And I said, you have to be so high to pull out from 60 degrees that we're only going to be able to really do that on targets that are quite large, right? Or you just can't see them. And this is before we had the lantern pod. So um, I, I, I mean, Cork Rich Erie, one of my, one of my favorite people um, whose, whose dad was a fighter guy and, and he's a fighter guy's fighter guy. And he's like, Hey, uh, so I listened to your brief. I'm going out to do a six degree dive. Uh, and it's just going to be, you know, from a wagon wheel roll in. And he said, uh, what's a gouge? I said, don't be a wimp when you roll in. You got to roll and pull and get right on your six degree wire. And I said, if you don't do that, Rich, you're going to float over the top and you're going to find yourself standing on the rudder pedals going straight down. And that's not comfortable. And uh, so he goes, yeah, 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 whatever. I got it. So he gets back from his flight and I go, uh, hey, how'd it go? He goes, dude, I suck. <laughs> I, said, I said, what do you mean? He goes, I did exactly what you told me not to do. I find myself going straight down 90 degrees t- toward the ground. And I said, well, he goes, yeah. I said, well, what'd you do? He goes, well, I dropped the bomb. <laughs> I go, well, okay, that was illegal, but um, how was your hit? He goes, spot on, dude. He goes, he goes your physics, uh, your physics lecture is, is exactly right. I just verified it. So, um, it, we had we had some amazing, scary, scary events as as I was trying to help those guys learn how to drop bombs, but but it uh, it turned out great and and the uh, um, the the quietly and I'll, I'll say this um, quietly the fighter guys fighter guys like Slapshot Carter he he pulled me aside during Kosovo and he 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 said hey I'm never going to say this out loud. But this drop and bomb shit is a blast. So, um, so the the fighter community started to turn, and and frankly, the F fourteen um, probably you guys could back me up on this probably would have gone away before it it did if it wasn't for the the to embrace the air to ground mission and have that lantern pod strapped to the side of the jet. Which oh no doubt, which was, no doubt, yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a, I think everybody agrees that's a true statement. And and yeah. and snapper just for uh, perspective, uh, I'm looking at our schedule of episodes, and the lantern episode comes just before yours. So the audience is going to get a good background on on how the pod came about. Perfect. Which is perfect. Yeah. So, so what about Kosovo? Now was it a a, a hot war when you guys sailed, or obviously so, Slapshot knew something was going on. Yeah, yeah, we knew that it was it was. Um, we knew that it was it was starting to heat up. Uh, the Air Force and the KAOC were already stood up in Vincenza, uh, Italy, um, 
And we were, we were going to be, we we're going to head straight there. Matter of fact, um, I, I land, um, say goodbye to the wife and kids from Virginia beach, get a couple traps with my pilot on the carrier. I get out of the jet. I walk to the PR shop and DKEG, uh, walks in the deputy airman commander, uh, Jack Godlewski at the time. He walks in and says, uh, Hey snapper, don't unpack because in an hour there's going to be a cod, uh, to fly you back to Virginia beach. Uh, you've got a flight tomorrow to go up to New York and then fly to Israel with, with, with him and one other guy to brief six fleet. Um, cause his flagship was in Israel at the time on how we're going to fight the Kosovo war. <laughs> and, and I went, huh? So <laughs> I, I, I said, yes, sir. And then immediately I ran down to the wardroom where. And you're where a Lieutenant commander of the opso of the squadron. Correct. And, and, and a strike leader and through, you know, so I ran down to the, the wardroom where this, I found the skipper drinking a cup of coffee. And I said, Hey, DKEG says I'm flying off the boat in about a half an hour and I'm, I'm going to Israel. Um, and then I'm going to go to the chaos with him and start the, the Navy's effort in the chaos uh, up in Italy. And I said, he can't do that. I mean, I'm a strike leader. I, I, we're, I'm not that guy. And Skipper stands up and he says, I'll take care of this snapper. And he goes, he disappears for about 15 minutes and he comes back and he goes, uh, yeah, you're going to go pack your bags. You're gone. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, um, so that was an interesting evolution of of briefing, briefing Sixth Fleet, and and then and then. So flying. who was Sixth Fleet at the time? Anybody that it was, uh, if you remember, uh, Tuttle, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, he was a he was a shoe, um, Not, and okay. uh, didn't know anything about you know like most surface warfare admirals at the time. Didn't know a lot about you know, the striking power of an air wing. So um, we, we, we briefed him and, and he at least pretended like he cared. And, and then we, uh, then we took off up to uh, Italy and, and we, we walked into the air operations center, what we call the CAOC and, and the air force said, okay, Navy guy, um, pick your call signs and pick your targets. And, yeah. And so that there's a big map on the wall. Game on. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, there's oil refineries and stuff that I thought would be cool to blow up. So um, they they uh, they let me start start picking targets and then coordinating with the ship as the ship is is pulling into the AOR. Um, and and we uh, we started we started going at it. Um, it was initially. The um, from a strategic standpoint, right? What do we what do we train to do in Fallon? If there's a surface-to-air missile fired at us, and early on they were shooting a lot of uh, SA sixes, um, SA twos, and threes, but most of them were not necessarily guided. Some were, but most of them were not, and that comes into play uh, here in a second. But but what was what was happening was what we're taught when when there's a, a, a SAM that comes up, you know, we avoid, we use some of the equipment on the aircraft to, to escape uh, the, the missile. And then typically we'd go back to the ship and say, okay, we were shot at right here. Let's put a package together to go waste that, that 
weapon system. Well, the the, um, the Serbs were smart, and we found out later they were being aided by the Iraqis. We've been at at war with Iraq for so long that uh, they got pretty good at shooting a missile and then moving it. Maybe only moved it, you know, a hundred to a thousand yards, just far enough to where we couldn't find it again. And and they'd set it back up and shoot and move and set it back. So it was, it was very, very frustrating because, because all they had to do is shoot one missile and we'd leave to plan to go take them out and they'd be gone and they'd shoot from somewhere else. And it was this cat and mouse game for, for weeks and weeks and weeks. Okay. Um, we, we, I spent about a week and a half at the Kayak and then, and then I flew back out to, to the ship and, um, and I was, I was replaced by, by a, a team of about seven, seven dudes, DK and I came back. So the surface to air, the SAM, uh, problem, I'll call it. Um, we, we had to change, we, we had to change our culture on how we fought. And it, finally, um, we, we decided we can't leave. Right. So when they shoot at us, we, we, we have to keep fighting because what was happening was the Serbs were going into these towns in, in Kosovo and they were ethnically cleansing people. They were just going in and murdering people. So, so we, our job was to, was to try to protect those people as best we can and, 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 um, fight the Serbs. Well, we, um, we ended up saying, staying in the fight when they shot at us, we'd avoid, but, and I truly believe, I don't know if this is ever written down. I truly believe this is what happened. There was a whole bunch of us airborne and we were doing some close air support and they fired a, I think it was an SA six at us. Uh, in fact, it was, it was, uh, uh, at a 41 jet and, they worked their tails off to avoid the missile because it was guided and it was guiding on them. But there were so many of us and we were so frustrated that instead of running away, like we were taught to, to plan and go back and strike every air force and Navy airplane on in the, in the Northern hemisphere turned nose on and blew the living crap out of everything that supported that missile system. And that was a turning point. That was the last time they shot a missile at us. Because I think they determined that someday this war is going to be over. And if the Americans are just going to waste every surface air missile system that we have, we won't be able to protect ourselves from, from our borders. Um, so so that, was the, that was essentially the end of, a, of, of the surface air missile threat um, from, the, from the Serbs. So really interesting um, uh, way of thinking. So just one incident. Change the course of it. I didn't know that. Yeah. I'd never heard yeah. that. Crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they may have fired something after that crunch, but nothing was ever guided. Um, but they, they went into hiding. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Wow. Cause I remember that they were get they had gotten really, so I was, while you guys were doing all that, you know, we were in the, uh, we were on the other side of the Suez doing support for the other, the other efforts at the time. And I remember uh, getting, we, you know, we, we were Intel junkies and we'd read all the reports and see, we could see how they were moving things and, and we'd lose track of them. And, and it looked like it was a really hard fight for you guys, for sure. Well, yeah. you know, um, it was, it was at times, but then it got to the point, they were pretty good. They were pretty good at um, decoys. That's right. They had, 
they had blow up tanks and you know smudge pots to make make the tanks look through our lantern that it was an actual heat signature, and and you know I, I'll never forget uh, you know one of the Intel guys came back after one of my missions and he said, hey uh, Snapper, I, you know don't get mad at me. He said, but uh, I think maybe one of those one of those tanks he blew up was a was a decoy, and I go, okay. So that's just one less decoy they have. Let's just blow them all up. That's right. And and we we did, and then and then we started running out of ammunition. So the ammunition ships are coming. I think I'm gonna I'm gonna estimate here. I think the most junior guy in our squadron, just in Kosovo, dropped around thirty laser guided bombs. Wow! And that was a junior guy. The rest of that's us a lot of action. You know, it it was it was absolutely fantastic. In fact, the Ford air controllers. Um, we couldn't we couldn't drop 500 pound bombs anymore because we saved all those for the the Ford Air controllers to use as marks. Uh-huh. Um, so you know it was just it was just uh, bizarre. We would we would load two 2,000 pound laser guided bombs on the F-14 because we were we were running out of the the thousand pound variants, which I like. We put four of those on the Tomcat. The thing that was unique about this war is it was an all-air war, and historians will will debate on on how the you know what caused Milosevic to capitulate. Um, but but the the fact was it made our rules of engagement really easy, relatively speaking. You know, um, go ahead explain you, that uh, implication. Um, so so rules of engagement we had. NATO rules of engagement we had to satisfy, and we had U.S. rules of engagement. Um, unlike Afghanistan, where you'd have an international rules of engagement, maybe you had the U.K. rules of engagement, U.S. rules of engagement. Uh, you know, as I recall, at any one time that, that I, I flew in Afghanistan, we have a, three or four different sets of, of rules of engagement that you had to satisfy before you hit the pickle button and dropped a weapon. Um, in, in Kosovo, it got to the point... Um, and I'm not necessarily advocating this, um, but it got to the point to where you'd look down and you'd see a gathering of, of some people or some Jeeps or whatever. We call them assembly areas. And you'd call back to the chaos and, and report it. And they, in less than 60 seconds, they'd go, okay, drop on. That was, that was the rules of engagement that we had to we had to satisfy it. It was, it was because there were no, because there were no friendlies down there. Exactly. Exactly. And they were being, they were, they were, you know, what they were doing um, to these people, these innocent people, it was absolutely horrific. Um, It it was hard not to be emotional about it. I remember Slammer told me, Hey, it's just a job. He was being interviewed. It's, it's something that, you know, we're just doing our job, which was true. Uh, right up until the time you watched the BBC and you saw what they were doing to these kids, and, and it was just horrible. So, so there was some there was some emotion uh, to to this whole to this whole conflict. Now, um, there were nineteen at the time. NATO had nineteen nations in it, and target sets started to dwindle rapidly. Um, because it only took one nation within that 19 nations to say no to a target. Um, and, and there was one particular nation, I won't, I won't say which one it was, but it would surprise you, that said no a lot. Um, so we ran out of targets 
with the exception of, you know, trying to hunt down the army, the bad guys. Do you have any reason? I mean, can you give any justification like that? Maybe they have business connections or something like that. Okay. Yep. Yep. And it was, it was another European country. Yeah. I mean, Um, that's all right. That's reality. Um, But what we did, we, we did, I'll tell kind of a quick story on, um, we always had a backup target. Um, The, the CAC would say, Hey, you guys can go drop on this target. If you can't find, the trucks or you can't find uh, the tanks you're looking for, whatever. Um, one time they gave us, they gave us a, uh, a backup target of a nickel plant and it was massive. It was silos everywhere, big, huge buildings, elevators running all over the place. And it, it just looked like it was so much fun to blow up that we <laughs> were hoping we couldn't find our primary target. So after about three days, the general General Short, who was in charge of the chaos, sent a message out to the aircraft carrier and said, all right, stop bombing the effing nickel plant. Would you guys <laughs> leave it alone? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was really, really interesting. I think, I think too, and as, as you look back in 1999, President Clinton, uh, Madeleine Albright was, was advocating for, uh, this conflict, and there were those that said, we're not going to put troops on the ground. You can't win an air war. You can't win a war from the air. So as you might as you might remember, it was very, this whole thing was very politically charged. Oh, yeah. Um, we finally, we finally, I think one of the things that, that actually caused uh, Milosevic to capitulate, and again, these are my feelings, not necessarily um, official. Sure. Uh, is, is, we started we started using the B fifty two, and and dropping a lot of bombs with the B fifty two, and I think that I think that put them over the edge to say, okay, whoa, this is now they're really they're really just going to um, pull out some stops that 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 they didn't think we were going to do. So, so roughly what uh, what month and year did you get there? Because you mentioned the B fifty twos, and tell us. Uh, what other U.S. forces? I mean, you know, who else from the USA was there? It was it was fall of '99 when we okay, got there. Fall of '99, okay. And and I recall, I mean, as I said earlier, the the Air Force had had already started operations. And what did so, they have there? F-16s, I guess. F F-15s, F-16s. They uh, they did have. Uh, eventually, um, they brought in. I, believe towards the end with the B-52s, they brought in uh, B-1s, which was, which, which was, um, you know, that was a pretty new airplane or pretty. Yeah. And in 99, that was still probably a nuke bomber. Yeah. Yeah. But they weren't using it. Right. So they wanted, they wanted to at least, you know, show that they used it. How about Um, the A-10? The A-10 was, was there and did an absolutely wonderful job. Sure. Um, um, it was, it was, we, we would work with the A-10 guys in the, in the, uh, fact role. Um, it was, it was absolutely wonderful. You know, we did, we did strikes. Um, we did one strike. In fact, it was my first, my first mission when I got back from the cap was Slammer and, uh, who? Uh, with who? Slammer Richardson. Never heard of him. Uh, yeah. yeah. That guy. <laughs> I, yeah. Sorry, yeah. Slammer. Yeah. So we get, we get, and, and Slammer, Slammer, I'll say Slammer 
one of the greatest fighter guys that ever lived, but he sucked as an attack pilot. Anyway. Um, um, <laughs> All right. We're going to have to get Slammer on for a rebuttal. I think. <laughs> so I, you know, um, Slammer and I, we were, we were going against actually a, a target in another country outside of Serbia. And I, I, I probably shouldn't mention it. It took a long, a long time for us to get, uh, um, permission to do it. But what the Serbs were doing is flying their Super Galebs, which were an attack airplane, out of this country, knowing that we wouldn't um, mess with them. And they were dropping bombs on these villages and, and killing innocent people in the villages. And, and then they'd, get, they'd go across the border and we couldn't do anything about it. Um, and, and, and frankly, at this time, maybe we had a, a Sparrow on board. We weren't carrying uh, Phoenix, no need to carry Phoenix against these guys. So so a sparrow just just for self protector maybe maybe a, a sidewinder or two. So we we finally got permission to go um, take out this airfield where the Galebs were were, uh, were launching out of, and it was my first mission. Like I said, come back from the the Kayok, and and we're launching every airplane that's up. And for the audience, every airplane that either in the hangar or the flight that is flyable, we're we're going at it, and right behind us is going to be a a U.S. only strike. You mean on this means, one specific mission? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. And right behind us is going to be a wave of a U.S. only strike. And when we say U.S. only, that's uh, all Air Force and some of the some of the special Air Force planes, like the B one and and others. And then there would be a NATO wave. So we're the we're the first ones in and. And you can imagine, audience, the loudest thing in the world is is on the flight deck of, of an aircraft carrier with every airplane turning and getting ready to launch. And and I'm I'm leading my element with with uh, Slammer, uh, my division, which is four airplanes. And we're uh, we're I'm going through the systems, uh, check getting the communications right and the classified communications and 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 the weapon systems and bombed, making sure everything is is talking to each other. And Slammer says to me, hey, Snapper, look at this. And at, this, at the time, I'm a little bit busy. Um, he's just got to start the motors. And now he's waiting for the guy in the back to, to do the rest of it. And, uh, and so I go, what? And so we're a couple hundred miles out to sea on the loudest environment you can imagine. And there's a white dove sitting on the nose of our F-14. <laughs> and... And I'm a God-fearing man, um, uh, Christian. I, I I believe I know what what that what a white dove means. And so Slammer's like, "What do you make of that?" And I go, "Well, it either means something really, really good, or really, really bad." <laughs> and so we're staring at this white dove a couple hundred miles out to sea. And about that time, it it takes off and flies right next to the black ace F-14 right next to it, gets sucked down the intake and blown out the backside. <laughs> and, uh, and I said to Slammer, I go, hmm, uh, that's not a good sign. <laughs> uh, so, so God does have a sense of humor. We clearly, we made it back and we, we hit our target. Um, but it was, uh, but it he was, made you think, so that's yeah, good. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it was on my toes. Oh God, that's um, funny. Yeah, wow. <laughs> but that that strike took care of of that particular airfield, and that that stopped the the cleansing from the from the skies. Well, who 
somebody got some kills. Uh, was that in the Kosovo or was that earlier? Because that obviously, was, yeah, that was earlier. Okay, yeah, yeah. So now, um, so one thing. So we were talking about the the FAC A mission, Ford Air Controller Airborne mission. Now, were you personally a FAC A? No, you're not. Well, no. So um, I've never I've never told anybody this story because it's a, it's a bit dishonest. Um, but we had rules that when we went in to drop bombs, um, scar missions, if you will, um, you had to have a wingman. And um, <clears throat> I launched, and being a former RAG instructor, a lot of times when I when I wasn't leading a strike, I would I would fly with the new guys. Um, and so I, I'm flying with, a, um, a, a cat one, a new guy, great kid. And our VF 41, uh, jet that was supposed to be our wingman went down on the flight deck and we were, we were, we already launched. So the rules are, we can't, the only way you can go in as a single airplane into Kosovo was you had to be a forward air controller. And so I'm circling and outside of outside of the uh, border, waiting for somebody to pick us up so we can go in and drop our four bombs. And I'm friends with the uh, VF-41 Ford Air Controller, who's just about 30 miles away. They found a whole bunch of tanks, and and he's he's calling all these guys in to, to drop bombs on these tanks. And here we sit 30 miles away. I can hear it on the radio, and I'm not happy because we've got four bombs that need a home, and... Uh, and I, I can't, there's nobody, they're not letting me in. So finally, uh, I figure I've got about 15 minutes of gas left to fight with. And uh, I come up to the controller and I say, hey, we really need to get in. And they said, sir, you, the only way you can go in as a single is if you're a forward air controller. And I said, well, good, because I'm a forward air controller. <laughs> um, so I figured I was bio, because as an A6 guy, I figured right. I knew more than anyway. So I'll never forget my pilot looking in the rearview mirror going, what? And, uh, <laughs> got on the back radio to, to the, uh, to the uh, Ford air controller, the actual Ford air controller, 30 miles away, uh, Brian Brewrud. And I said, Bruce snapper on his tactical frequency. I said, Bruce snapper. I got, I got about 15 minutes left. Um, and I've got four bombs that need a home. And he, he gave me the coordinates to the center of the area where the tanks were, and he cleared everybody else out. And we did four quick bombing runs from from each uh, cardinal heading, and and you know in five minutes all four bombs were off, and they, they found a home. It was absolutely awesome and amazing. And, uh, God, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, I think the statute of limitations on impersonating a fat gay is, is expired, <laughs> exactly. so you're safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was fun. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. So, so obviously, uh, you know, you kind of touched on it a little bit. You talk about brew being out there doing the FAC A mission. Um, so when it comes to the air wing, you know, the air wing gets out there, we got the air wing, we got the air force, we got all of NATO, everybody's coming in there. How much did that FAC A role play in the overall mission of Kosovo? Was there, I mean, how did that affect the war? Well, you know, I will say it was, it was absolutely critical. Um, because when the stationary targets went away, uh, very, very early on. And like I said, it was hard to get the target list expanded through NATO. Um, it was, it was seeking out and trying to find these, the tanks and, and the, 
the trucks and the, the soldiers. And that was all, that was all due through fat gays. Um, you know, it, it was, it was, if we didn't have them, it, it, I, we would have had to, we would have figured something out, but it wouldn't have been as effective without the fat gays. And, and, and <clears throat> so I don't, I don't forget as we talk about the lantern pod, um, it's important to understand the F-18 had what they called a T-flare. And it was absolutely horrible. It was, it was, you, you, it was just, it was, it was, it didn't compare to the lantern pod. And I felt really bad about the Hornet guys. And in fact, it was so bad that the, the Kayak, unless you had a certain type of pod, quality of pod, a fourth generation pod, they would not let you drop bombs with that pod. So the Hornet guys, we had two Hornet squadrons, uh, legacy Hornet squadrons in the air wing at the time. If you were ever to to say these words out loud, then then somebody would probably tell you to go take a, a urinalysis. But we we use the Hornet says bomb trucks, if mm-hmm. you can believe that, um, because they they couldn't drop bombs with their pod, so they'd fly up next to us. We'd find the targets with lantern and stand by stand by pickle, and then we would we would guide their bombs uh, for them. Um, and I will I will put a plug in for the 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 Hornet guys on that, that ship, instead of being, you know, like this and, and having their head down and, 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 um, not maybe being as, um, helpful, helpful. Yeah. <laughs> and, and being very parochial. Um, they were, they were awesome. They realized what their role was. It wasn't our fault that we flew this old F-14 but we had this amazing pod and we had a lot of gas and the F-14. Um, I'll go back to my, my attack routes. The F-14 is incredibly stable, which makes it a wonderful airplane to drop ordnance on bombs out of that tunnel. It was, it was, it was amazing. So, um, you know, I, my time uh, a little over 10 years flying the F-14 was, um, I, I got back from that cruise and, you, you, you both obviously know what it's like on a fly-in when you haven't seen your spouse for forever and you come back from a war cruise and there's your, there's your wife and kids. And my wife looked at me and she said, so really, how was it? And I said, I'm done. I, I don't need to do anything else in the Navy anymore. This I'm done. It was, it was, uh, we got to do what we, we were trained to do and we did it very well. And, and the people that, you know, that we got to work with and, uh, it was, it was absolutely fantastic. So, um, Man, that is uh, that is quite a comment, Snapper. That 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 is that is. So, um, uh, where were we going with that? We were talking about FAC A and how important. Oh, the bomb truck. I know what it was. So, just so for everybody who knows, when it comes to like that buddy bombing thing, so Snapper, you might be in your Tomcat. You got your fl- your uh, your your lantern pod on there. As long as you got the combat laser dialed in ahead of time, you can change your laser code to anything, right? And so now right. I fly up next to you in my Hornet. And we just basically get on the same float. I just basically fly, fly formation on you and say, hey, my laser code is 1688. You plug in 1688, put a laser spot down, I'd, and you just tell me when to pickle. And uh, based off of aerodynamics, my, my bomb comes off, gets a good initial vector towards that target. You put the laser on and bang, my my bomb, my which is hard hard coded on the flight deck to, to whatever that laser code is, you change your pod to put out the right 
pulse repetition frequency on that laser so that it sees it and goes in and hits the target. Just for the folks who don't know how a laser pod works. Cause, uh, and yeah, I, another thing to remember is when you in is with a laser guided bomb, you got a few seconds where the bomb can adjust. I mean, there's an optimum release point, but mm-hmm. you do have a few seconds. It's, you know, it's not a, it's not a spot. You're talking my language and I'm getting all fired up now as we're talking about bombs. Um, uh, <laughs> well, that's about so all you're I right. know. So. <laughs> well, we, you know, you, you would, um, and for the, for the crowd, um, um, we would do something called a delay laze, right? Um, so you drop the bomb and you let the bomb fly ballistically without, without guiding it because as soon as you turn the laser on and the seeker of that bomb finds the laser spot and keep in mind the laser spot. It's not necessarily like a flashlight. It's, 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 it's jittering all around in this area um, where you're pointing the flare and, and you would wait till your target system, the lantern pod would tell you time to impact. And once your time to impact got to 10 seconds, then you'd turn the laser on. And that meant the bomb had enough smack on it or as much smack as possible because you haven't been driving it around. And a lot of times if you, if you turn the laser on too early, um, once it starts making its corrections, it's losing energy, the bomb will fall short. Yep. And you never wanted the bomb obviously to fall short. So, so our rule of thumb was if the delivery is um, perfect, then you delay lays. Or if the target starts moving, then we start lasing it immediately or which we did in Kosovo many times. Um, and we, we did it in Iraq on the same cruise. Sometimes you drop the bomb and you're looking through your FLIR and you're, you, you, as the bomb is flying before you turn your laser on, maybe a, a more juicy target came up that's close to the one you were aiming at. So at that point you're changing your mind and you start lasing lays where the bomb you think the bomb's looking and then you drag the bomb over to the target. So, so it, it follows. So it, it really, we dropped so many bombs. It was really amazing to see what the maneuverability of a paveway two kit could do. I, I, I saw some, some bombs that, that cross range travel just look apps like there's not a chance in the world that we're going to make this happen. And, and they, they would, it was, it's a great cheap weapon. And some that I can say from my limited experience with the, the lantern was a maneuver. I mean, a, a move like that, like adjusting the target, that was easy to do. I mean, that was a well-designed designed system. The hand control was great, even, it, even though it was your left hand. Yeah. Well, that's pretty yeah. cool, though, to have the presence of mind to think about all that stuff. I, I loved it. And as you, guys, as you guys know, when the Super Hornet was developed, they developed it with the AT FLIR in mind. And us old F-14 guys that started flying the Super Hornet went, this is a piece of garbage compared to the Lantern Pod. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Lantern Pod was was way less expensive. So that's a, that 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 gets people riled up a little bit when we talk about the AT Flare. So we won't, we won't talk about the AT Flare. <laughs> You're skipping all the way to the bottom question that says compare and contrast. You're <laughs> well, hey, but but get back in the way back machine to, to Kosovo. So uh, we're talking about Paveway 2. So GBU 10, GBU 12, GBU uh, 14, 16. Thank you. I'm sitting there going, wait a minute. What is it? Did you drop any GBU 24s? So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, that's a great question. 
and I, I wanted to talk about it a little bit. Um, GBU24 for the audience is a 2,000 pound um, penetrator weapon, and it's massive. When the when the fins unfold on this weapon, um, they they reach out to about 11 feet wingtip to wingtip. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, and it it can it's you can program the fuse, you can program the flight path of the thing. Really cool weapon, um, especially if you have the software to to uh, deliver the weapon and take take uh, its um, its capabilities into consideration. So um, we didn't in the F-14. The Air Force didn't either um, specifically for the GBU-24 because it was new. And Slobodan Milosevic, if I recall, had about 11 palaces. And, and all of them had underground, you know, bunkers for him to be safe, safe in. And so we, we, we were coming up with ways to reach down and touch him. Um, so what we had to do is, is kind of jury rig the software, if you will, or, or, or read the lantern data differently, which was outside of our, our habit pattern, uh, to drop the GBU 24 and, and the, the, the air force and the Navy, um, dropped enough GBU-24s unsuccessfully that uh, there was a lot of pressure to, huh. um, to figure this out because they were, they were pretty expensive and there wasn't a ton of them. So I'll go back to, um, uh, this is actually a strike. I hadn't dropped one personally in Kosovo, but that same cruise we went to Iraq, um, can I crunch? Can I talk about this uh, GB24 related? But oh yeah, Iraq. Absolutely. Um, we went to we went to Iraq and we dropped so many bombs that um, the Kaok in 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 Iraq area, uh, Middle East and Bahrain, they said, "Hey, these guys these guys have so much experience. Let's let's teach um, Saddam a lesson." And we started dropping bombs right away uh, in Iraq, and it's like we never left Kosovo. It's just just a different kind of terrain it's a little little more brown less green right exactly <laughs> and we're we're in bahrain at dinner and there's a, there's about 30 of us and the ship's pulling out the next day and i i i catch a ride back with decag instead of taking a cab and it's about it's about 20 hundred uh we didn't have to be back on the boat till midnight and i didn't i didn't I, i'd had plenty to drink and i, I didn't want to feel crappy the next day so I get back on the boat and I stop by the duty officer and say, Hey, I'm on board. I'm going to hit the rack. And they said, Oh uh, no. Uh, uh, Exo's waiting for you. Again, slammer waiting for you um, in civic because day after tomorrow at a zero 400 launch, you guys are, are leading uh, a strike um, to, to a certain area in Iraq and it's going to have again waves of airplanes, and every airplane we have, and and I'm, I'm I kind of look at him and I laugh and I go back and because I, I, I he's just I think he's just screwing with me, so I I literally get into my get into bed and I lay there and I go, what if he's not? And so I put my flight suit on and I sneak over to down to Civic, so if he was screwing with me, nobody saw that he got me, and I stick my head in there and there's only one guy in there and it's Slammer, and he's got charts all over the table. Uh, and he goes, oh, hey, bub, 
start picking targets. Uh, we've got a mission to lead. And so um, I looked at I looked at the target set and I said, um, okay, we're going to drop GB24 on this target and we'll give the, the skipper, Slapshot, we'll give he and Scooter Moyer the other GB24. And then, and then I chose, because we had Lantern, I chose the very real small targets for my F-14 brothers and the large building type targets I would give to the Hornets because they could find the large buildings on their, their FLIR. And uh, so we're, we're longer story shorter. Um, like I said, it's a four o'clock in the morning launch and every plane on the flight deck's turning. And I go to make sure that the GBU 24 uh, is, is, has the right settings, few settings and flight path settings. Well, there's four modes on the GBU 24. Ooh. Oh yeah. I forgot about that. Yeah. Well, what I'd never seen is there's a different version of GBU 24 that had eight positions on it. And I knew I had to drop in mode two. Um, but now there's eight settings. <clears throat> so does that mean mode six or mode two? I just, I had no idea. <clears throat> so Slammer looks at me and it's hot, um, dark. And, and he goes, and I'm, I'm perplexed. I don't, and all the planes are turning. Well, Dan Cave, my roommate, slave boy was the GB 24 SME. And he's parked on the back of the ship. I'm parked up on the, on the forward part of the ship. And I start running down the flight deck. I tell Slammer, I said, just, just get in the jet. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. I didn't want him to be stressed because we're leading this whole thing. And, and I, I don't know what setting to put on my bomb. So <clears throat> I run down. I find um, Slave Boy. Uh, I was flying with CJ Denny at the time. I gave them a really hard target. And they're sitting in their, they're sitting in their jet, both engines running. And you guys appreciate this. I was so stressed. I just, I just dropped the ladder right in front of the intake of the motor that was running. And I climbed up and I stuck my face in front of sleep. And I go, I go mode two or mode six. What is it? There's eight modes on eight switch positions. Where did that come from? I've never heard of such a thing. And, and slave boy looks at me and he goes, funny. Slapshot just asked me the same thing because he had the other 24 and he was parked across from He goes, I'm pretty sure it's mode two. I'm like, <laughs> so I think my career's over and I, I run back. I jump, I make sure it's mode two. We get in it, get in the jet. We launch sun's coming up and we're going towards the target and I'm going to designate and, and the, the target won't designate. And, uh, I'm, I can see the target from 30 miles away and I can't get the right symbology to come up in the lantern saying that I'm designated and I've got to drop this thing 0.1 plus or minus 0.1 of a mile. Oh, or so they, this, what, this was a uh, pinpoint release. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and with the mode two and the way the bomb flies, right, sure, it right. was, it's a continuous lays yeah. mode. So I am in the, the, so the skipper and scooter are on our wing and the, the plan is I'm going to go standby, standby pickle, boom. And both bombs come off and I, and I gave them a little bit different aim point than, than, than I had. And, but I can't, I can't get this thing going. I can't, it's not working. I'm absolutely stressing. And, uh, I, I started doing what we do in the a six. If you can't think of anything else, just start hitting it. So 
I'm pounding on that hand controller. Slammer is looking at the rearview mirrors and bless his heart. He knew that he shouldn't ask any questions. He sees me going nuts in the back. And instead of, instead of going, Hey, tell me what's going on. Snapper, but he, he just kept his mouth shut and he flew the jet. And I, I didn't even look at the range. I just, I knew I had about one last time to try. I pulled the trigger on the, uh, on the hand controller and the symbology came up and I looked down at the distance and I was 0.6 miles. We're doing 500 knots. It's 0.6 miles from drop. And, and, and so I just, I just looked up and I said, I didn't even have enough air in my lungs to say pickle. I just kind of threw out pickle. I didn't say standby, standby pickle. I didn't tell my wingman to pickle. I just said pickle the slammer and he pickled the bomb off and Scooter who's flying for him sees this gigantic bomb come off and the fins open up. And so he didn't wait. He just hit pickle on his bomb. So there's about a second delay now in the bombs. So both bombs are flying towards this. It was a command bunker, a massive, massive uh, command bunker. And my, my bomb, I was aiming right for the center of the building and I had slap shot uh, go at a, a vent that was on the corner of the roof. Well, because of that one second delay, when my bomb went in and exploded, it lifted up the roof and one second delay slap shots bomb went right in and the roof settled back down. So his bomb went in unabated. And, and so the, the chaos folks, when they saw the, they saw the film, they go, these guys are the most unbelievable weaponeer people. Can you see how, who in the world could do that? Complete luck. And <laughs> that's what we do, man. Yeah, exactly. So, um, but that that those two GBU twenty fours were crunch. They were absolutely perfect, and and we we ended up getting pretty good at dropping GBU twenty fours. But but man, it was a rough rough road. Yeah, crunch crunch. I'm gonna say that covers uh, what was your most memorable mission. That, oh that, yeah, that, oh, we've, we've, we've done like one. three of those. Snapper, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> interesting because I'm thinking back to the uh, the Tomcat Rios and pilots we've talked to, and guys that talk about either system failures, you know, on the way in or other, and they're just back there just pushing buttons and, and hitting things, like you said. I mean, in your case, it was probably some contrast deal or something because it was a lantern. Lantern wouldn't pop up. Um, anyway, but, I mean, that is that just happens in, in combat yeah. flights. Well, you guys know about mass curves, right? Mm-hmm. I, I wasn't going to bring it up and, and, and explain it. but Oh, yeah, masking, yeah, yeah. yeah. <clears throat> the mass curve wouldn't show up when I designated yeah, which I knew the bomb wouldn't come off. I didn't have a mask curve, so so that okay, was the so, issue. So for the audience, that's a mask M A S K curve, and it it says where you've got to keep the aim point as the plane maneuvers in order to make sure the laser still shows at the target. See, Skippy Skippy taught me a few things uh, in two eleven. So yeah, nice. Yeah, nice. Yep. All right. So moving on. So um. All right. Let so Bio had a great question here that he scribbled down, which is. How did the squadron and the air wing handle lessons learned? Because you had a lot of, I mean, you talked about a lot of it just now about how you made progress. This happened, then you changed. Obviously, there's some lessons learned here. And not only for the Kayak and for other ships, but just internally. How did you guys do that? Were there daily hot washes? What, yes, something? yes. We we would, um, yes, absolutely. Um, we would get together, um, and, and I learned this from, uh, you guys probably remember Vice Admiral Dave Nichols, who's my first CO in in 196, and and 
aside from my fa father was the uh, was the greatest tactician I've ever ever known in in the Navy. Um, we would have a, a hot wash. He was an A six BN, right? Correct. I think mm -hmm. I cruised with him when I was uh, on my first first cruise or second cruise. Yeah. If I remember him, yeah. Absolutely amazing, amazing warrior. Um, <clears throat> we would we would typically have um, the opso myself or the maintenance officer say, "Okay, event one. How is the airplane? What was the mission?" Um, what, what did you learn from the mission? What'd you do good? What, what did you do? What did you do poorly? <clears throat> we did that <clears throat> right before desert storm. Um, before we were supposed to go into desert storm and I was a brand new guy out of the a six rag. We did that every night in, in my a six squadron and the, 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 that debrief daily debrief and listening to, um, the air crew handle maintenance failures or equipment failures or, or mistakes they made. And, and we had a culture where you could admit your mistakes and, and the, the boss wouldn't, wouldn't come down on you. Right. Right. So the, the, the speed of which you learn, right. Is, is accelerated immensely. If you can have that type of a culture within a squadron. So crunch, we did, we did a lot of that, um, uh, with not only within the squadrons, but within the air wing, but what's really important is um, how are we going to help um, NSOC, Nautic, <clears throat> back then in the day, Strike University, understand what was new, right? Because as I said earlier, they'd shoot a SAM at us and we'd go away, we'd avoid it, go away and figure out how to come back and destroy it later. Well, that tactic was was not sound, right? For the for the conflict we were in. So, so it was really important that we took, um, uh, great notes, organized them appropriately so we could go back and help the, the schoolhouse understand what we were faced with, what we did right, what we didn't, didn't do so good and what we learned from it. So then that could be passed on to follow on, um, air wings before they would deploy. Um, and, 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 you know, we, the, the whole, Ford air controller system, as you guys, as you guys know, we started doing that a lot more at Fallon uh, in the five or six week air wing Fallon training. So it's a great question. And it, it, you're right, Crunch. It is absolutely critical that, that you not only capture those lessons learned, but put them in a, in a, some sort of, um, uh, a database or system that is easy to get to. And then you, you, it's easy to update and add to. Otherwise, as we all know, yeah. you know, people won't look at it and we'll have to relearn lessons. And well, you know what, you know what they say? The first, the first, uh, lesson and lessons learned is always read the lessons learned. Right. Right. It, it, right. Cause it's, that's the hardest thing to do is to actually go back and go, well, well, you know, snapper's done this before. I probably should take a look at what he did wrong. So I don't repeat it. And if we don't do right. that, it, and that's called learning. Right. That's great stuff. Yeah. Well, hey, you, you also earlier you were talking about um, you're talking about the F eighteen F, and you you kind of you you started to go there and then you stopped. I would love it. I think the audience would love it if we revisited that just for a little quick conversation, just to compare and contrast. Well, be sure to include some pros and cons. You know, I mean, there's got to be some good things. I mean, yeah, yeah. Go for it. I I love the F eighteen. Um, Super Hornet. 
um, uh, particularly obviously the two seat. Um, um, although my son flies the single seat Super Hornet because he doesn't think he needs his old man anymore. Um, <laughs> but, uh, um, and I love technology. So, so here's, here's what the Super Hornet does. I, it, it is, you know, we, it does so many things well that, that we kind of felt when we were flying it, that we were voting members, not necessarily a pilot that wasn't right. Um, mm. Because it's, it's so automated and, and um, technology is, is tremendous in it. Um, when people ask, what do you like better flying? It's, it's apples and oranges between the F-14 and the, and the F. And here's what I mean by that. When I, when I was going through F-14 training, I would watch pilots fight over, over the Wizzo, Rio in this case, who they were going to fly with. Because you had to know the system, you had to know how to fix it, you had to know what circuit breakers to pull in at one time and, and how to push them back in, you had to know when to when when to um, call it quits, you had to know how to jury rig it, you had to you just had to know if you were if you were a great troubleshooter, then the pilot was going to get his flight hours, and the pilot more times than not was going to win. The the F makes uh, makes anybody who sits in the in the back of that thing average, right? Um, you can take below average people that weren't very good in the F-14 and they'd be fine in a Super Hornet. It's harder to be amazing. <laughs> um, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Cause um, there's, there's less technique, less finesse. Yeah. 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 Interesting. Yeah. Which in, in the grand scheme is actually a good thing. I think sure. it's yeah. fair to say. Yeah. Sure. I, 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 I agree. Um, it is it is a good thing overall. But, but I mean, that reminds me of the early days of the Tomcat community. When I was a JO in the early '80s, people were talking about pulse search over land. That was yeah. a badge of a good Rio. Yeah, absolutely. And then later on in Crunch, we've talked about this yeah. Top Gun, especially with the D, but but even later with the A. I think they're saying just stick with trackwall scan. You know. Yeah. 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 It's a great point. You know, when the D, when the D that had had um, a much more advanced radar than the A and the B. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd sit back and go, well, this is just easy, right? <laughs> Compared to, oh, they're going into the beam, they're shooting out some chaff, we're going to pulse, and we're, you know, like you said, yeah. it was it was an art, and you 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 had to work really really hard to be really good at it, and you just don't have to do that so much in in the in the F and and I agree, Crunch. It is it is a good thing. Yeah. Okay. How about how about range on the Super Hornet and stuff like that? I don't have any Super Hornet experience, and I yeah, only so, deployed with Legacy Hornets. Yeah. So, um, it's it's very equivalent to the A six with a single center line. So it it carried a lot more fuel and a lot more weapons than the Legacy Hornet. It's the airplane they should have built initially. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. That's a very yeah. that's an interesting statement. And now, now you know there there there's advancements they're really looking at by putting um, EP motors in it, uh, which gives it about twenty two percent more thrust, um, and <laughs> and it, it can use that and and be more fuel efficient. Uh, they've they've got Boeing's got the capability to uh, put conformal tanks, much like the F sixteen has. Ooh. Yeah. I know. I thought I, for a while I heard the Navy was getting, well, we're, we don't want to go down that road. But yeah. Anyway. yeah. 
Conformal they, tanks they, would be cool. I, I mean, I've I've seen those on Strike Eagles. I've never seen them anywhere else. Yeah, cool. yeah. They, they, they're they on the back amazing. of the they're on the back of the Super Hornet. Yes, exactly. Yep. I did not know that. Learn something every day. There's my thing. There's a uh, you those of us who flew the F-14 remember the Erst, right? So, yeah. um, uh, Erst is an infrared uh, search tracker. I think it stands for right. Um, and it was, it was right below the nose of the F-14 D, um, and the B, didn't the B? No, just no. the B. CS. Um, so what we what we did is we developed the center line. Um, we put an Erst that is remarkably like the F-14s in the nose of the center line drop tank. You lose about 350 pounds of gas. I like the Erst. I always find I, yeah, I, know. I love. Yeah, but we don't want to go into we don't want to go into certain strengths and stuff yeah. like that. I don't think. But what's don't amazing? Think. It's nineteen seventies technology, and it's it's used well, today. Once again, when I was a new guy, the early Tomcats had an IR on the nose, but by the time I got to the fleet in eighty one, it was gone because guys said it didn't work right. So, hmm. and then there were the F eight. F8 Crusader had an IR. I don't know if it was good or not. The F106 had an IR. So, yes, it is 60s yeah. technology. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I'm an old guy. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Crunch, should we uh, – I think we covered the uh, the our mission here. Yes, sir, I think we have. I think we have. But Snapper, can you tell us what uh, what you're doing nowadays? Besides, sure. uh, that, besides your uh, four children, I'm sure that keeps you busy. Yep. Well, and seven grandchildren. Oh, too, too. Wow. Yeah. So, um, you know, when I, when I, um, you know, when, when people get out of the military, especially naval aviation, most everybody says, what do you miss? Well, I miss the people, right? Um, I don't, I don't miss the people because I'm working for a company. I'm the vice president of the Americas for a company called Cavu. Ah. And we, we know what Cavu stands for in the Navy. It's ceiling visibility unlimited. And, and President Bush said to our CEO, because Dave Burnham is the CEO, you guys know another F-14 guy, um, lived down the street from, from the Bushes in Kenny Bunkport. And longer story shorter, um, President Bush found out that the Burnham kid was a, a fighter pilot like he was and, and was going out to uh, uh, be XO of an aircraft carrier and, and invited Dave to talk to him. And, and he had this uh, plaque on the wall, Bush did, uh, Bush Sr., on... And it said Cavu, and he said to Dave, do you know what that means? And Dave said, yes, sir, um, Ceiling vis- Visibility Unlimited. And the president said, that's right. <clears throat> he said, uh, it's the perfect day to fly. So what our company does is we, we look at teams um, that we work for and try to create that perfect day for them and make it repeatable. So we, we're uh, mostly leadership and safety training for oil and gas companies, um, law enforcement, uh, we work at several ports in process improvement and safety and leadership training, um, as well as medical and construction. And just most recently, we, we're, uh, we're working now on our, our third uh, chemical plant um, with our coaches. There's about uh, 60 of us, and uh, we have the capability to speak 14 different languages uh, all around the world. We're stationed, and uh, we, uh, we're mostly fighter pilots uh, and uh, Navy SEALs, uh, Blue Angels, uh, Top Gun graduates, and we use uh, nuclear engineers, and we use those tools and those tenets that um, 
that made those teams so successful. And we apply those tools to industry. And it's really fun working with those people. Like I said, I don't, I don't miss the people in the Navy because I'm still with them. Um, and it's, it's, it's a lot of fun, great challenging. And, and certainly it's, it's an honor to continue to serve our law enforcement and, and our oil and gas industry folks and make sure they can get home with all their fingers and toes back to Yeah, I mean, that's what makes our society what it is. Yeah, what you guys, that's great. Our support. Yep. Great stuff. Well, cool. Thanks. Anytime, anytime you guys are in Houston, doors always open. Sounds good. Okay. Next time I'm there, I'm calling you. Love Excellent. It. I love Excellent. it. All right. Well, I think that wraps up the show. Bio, do you have anything else you want to talk about? No, I mean, this, I learned a, uh, a lot. I, I got to confess, uh, just due to my personal transition and stuff, I missed a lot of the details that, that you talked about today because uh, it was when I was getting out of the Navy and stuff like that. And so you filled in my personal uh, uh, knowledge base, but I think our audience also is going to get a lot of insight and a lot of uh, a, a lot of enjoyment out of hearing your stories about not only uh, naval aviation, but about how the F-14 shined uh, when it was put to the test. So, Snapper, thanks. Absolutely. Thanks, thanks so much for taking the time to uh, join us today. There's no substitute. You didn't ask me about the A6 and the F4, A6 against the F-14, but there was no substitute to um, um, plugging in the afterburners to get out of a target area instead of having to dive for the deck like you did in the A6. So, yeah, the F-14, um, awesome airplane. Okay, there you go. That's awesome. a good finish right there. Awesome. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate your time, and thanks for joining us here on the uh, on the F-14 TomCast. It's been a real pleasure. It's been my pleasure. Thank you. You've been listening to the F-14 TomCast, part of the Air Combat Experience, brought to you by BVR Productions. Got a question for the show? Send an email to questions at F14TomCast.com or leave a message on our listener line at 877-MACH-101, extension 3. That's 877-622-4101, extension 3. For updates on this podcast and our other military aviation-themed shows, visit BVRPro.com and follow the Air Combat Experience on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Thanks for listening.